0: And I'll bet that they're being heard on every radio telescope on the entire Earth. I always wanted to be on the radio. Are you feeling by any chance like a goober? I know you are, but what am I? What does it look like I'm doing, picking goobers? Pardon me, did I hear you say On the radio, he is introduced like this.
1: Welcome back to the Goober Hour. I am now here with the man of the hour, Monsieur Billy Kelly. Thank you for joining us
0: you're welcome for joining us thank me for joining you
1: yeah thank you was that a demand I'm thank w- you for joining yes <laughs> i don't know first of all i just want to say as you know i'm a huge fan i loved your albums when i started hosting radio as a kid they kind of blew my mind um the blend of genres with comedy and genuine stuff mindless pop song it's one of my favorite songs forever thank I think you it's thank you and also while i was making the zing zangs album with dean i'm sort of embarrassed to admit i was sort of out of the scene for a bit had not heard the word of the amazing grammy nominated masterpiece that is trees Uh, oh yes and when we were working with Dean, I this is the highest honor I've ever received. He said, "This is giving me sort of trees vibes," and he sent the oh, album, right. and we both fell in love. It was the biggest inspiration to our style. It's an incredible album. Um, thank so you so much. I I'll love tell everything Molly, you do. You said
0: so. <laughs> okay,
1: thank you. So I just want to ask. I guess this is just interview trope. I have to ask this. How did it all get started? What brought you to to being an entertainer, musician, comedian? Uh
0: phew, gosh, I have always wanted to uh, be a children's entertainer since I was a kid. Um, I wanted to be a a book illustrator, a children's book illustrator when I was a kid. And then when I was a teenager, I started writing songs for kids. And once I had my own kids, I was able to entertain them on a daily basis. And then I guess that's where most of my energy went. And then once my kids were in uh, my oldest, when she was in preschool, I realized I had written like 30 songs to entertain them and i took them into our preschool to play them for for the kids there and it went well and i thought oh these are kind of fun you know it had like like you said mindless pop song and um thank you for joining the happy club and people really like milk i had that whole first album written and i thought well the kids liked it so maybe i should record it and put it out into the world and that's what i did that was 2009
1: right i remember i was nine
0: um. <laughs> Greg's got far to go, and he turns on the radio because he hopes that the mindless pop song will come on. Come on. And it breezes through his soul and makes eighteen tires roll. To Craig and the Mindless Pop song both are long gone. Roll on Mindless Pop song. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And it's first, first chorus and the second verse and chorus. Then the bridge comes in to change it up before the instrumental break.
1: As a songwriter, I think that you're one of my biggest inspirations because of your approach to sincerity versus silliness. I think you've got all sides of the spectrum with albums like Trees, but then also uh, albums like Whelp. Like, I, like, I love the balance that you do. Do you have any specific approach when it comes to writing
0: songs? Thank you. First of all, that's quite a compliment. And thanks for noticing. (laughs) Finally, (laughs) someone noticed that I can do sincerity and humor. My approach, I, Trevor, I just keep my brain open for ideas. I sort of like keep the antenna out at all times for new ideas. And I just wait and see what the idea is when it comes to me. Sometimes I, you know, you get a joke idea, you get a, I get an idea for a song, a little melody. I start writing words and I think, oh, this is kind of serious. This isn't, Maybe going to work as a comedy song. I just let it go wherever it goes. I happen to do a number of different things pretty regularly. So I end up then with a lot of material to choose from because I just try to write all the time, basically. So yeah, I just wait and see where the the idea goes. And then I decide after, okay, that's a kid's song. Sometimes that is an arbitrary decision. like trees. We put that we weren't even thinking of that really as a tree as a children's music album. It's just songs about trees. When we finished it, we said, well, something about it feels like it's for kids, but I don't I never actually understood why an album called Trees has to just be for kids. You know, I have a joke that you can you could sing about going to the beach, that's for adults. You could sing about uh love, that's for adults. You could sing about driving a car, that's for adults. In fact, that's the entire Beach Boys catalog. Um, <laughs> But you do a song about an album about trees, and people say, "Well, clearly that's for children." Uh, so I, sometimes I let the audience decide, too. <laughs> so, right. That makes I don't sense. know what I don't know what I'm doing. I think that's the short answer, Trevor.
1: <laughs> okay, great. Because I was going to ask, like, what? How do you categorize the amount of stuff that that you come up with? What ends up being a joke for a stand-up set? What ends up being a full song on an album marketed for kids? Um, what becomes an adult indie song? Is there any specific factor?
0: You know, again, it's just I just write all the time. And that's always my advice to people, like when I talk to other people doing this, I say just keep making stuff and eventually, you know, like if you're a painter and you go in your painting studio every day and paint for half an hour, at the end of a year, you're gonna have a lot of things that you've accomplished. And I think just by keeping the creative wheels turning, keeping ideas, you know, keep churning out ideas, I just have a lot of stuff to choose from. And it usually just dictates itself. Like, I have this silly song I just put out called Overrun with Fruit Flies. Um, Yeah, we played it. it. We played it last week. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, So that we just had a fruit fly infestation in the house during lockdown. And I was always dealing with these fruit flies. So I just started singing about it. And I wrote (laughs) half of the song and I thought, oh, that's funny. And then I found it maybe a year, a year and a half later. And I thought, oh, this is kind of good, but it's only half finished. So, I went and I wrote the second half. And so, I, I like that approach because I'm a visual artist too. And I'm used to that idea of just having sketchbooks. And and when you don't have an idea, having a place you can go to just look at what you've already done and see like, oh, this is kind of good. This could be turned into something uh, that would be funny for kids in a comedy show or that would be a good catchy kids' music song or not. You know, if it's not that, then I just turn it into whatever I think it wants to be.
1: Well thank you so. for answering the question that I was not <laughs> going to ask, which is is that autobiographical? Um, that was the first question I had the while listening song. to over <laughs> with fruit flies. Um sadly I'm happy to know. yes. <laughs> sadly it is.
0: <laughs> My house is over with fruit flies. Could improve. There's so many I can catch your swatter they're loving all the fruit I bought, they're taking over, and I don't approve.
1: Well, on that note, please indulge me now as I go full Billy Kelly fan mode, I am going to ask you questions about your discography that no general listener is going to stay tuned for. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I I may not even know them. One of the many career highlights you've had was duetting with Davy Jones from the monkeys on the album. Is this some kind of joke? I remember that happening in 2010 um, while I was hosting just beginning to host kids radio. I told my mom about, you know, I told my mom about everything. I was 10 years old, um, but I was like, Hey, And Billy Kelly just has a song with Davy Jones and it actually made her gasp for the first time. Anything about kids (laughs) music made her gasp and um, (laughs) she listened to the song. What was it like to work with Davy Jones and how did that come about?
0: It was amazing. He was a lovely guy. I was friends with, I still am friends with his bass player and I had this idea. I just loved the monkey so much and I had this idea for this song and I thought, I, I knew my friend knew him and I said, do you think David Jones would sing on this song that I made? And he said, well, write him a little note and I'll drop it off to him. And I did. And sure enough, the phone rang one morning, a couple of weeks later. And uh, it was so funny. He would always say, um, I, I talked to him a, a bunch of times and we went to the studio together and we did the video. But he was funny because he would always say, like if he talked, he would talk about like Mike Nesmith. He's like, I was talking to Mike Nesmith, you know, from the monkeys. And he would say that, you know, from the, <laughs> the monkeys. And then he'd say, I was talking to Ringo Starr once, you know, from the Beatles. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I know who I know who Ringo Starr is, Davey. It was really funny. And he wasn't name dropping. He just like, that guy was a legend. He came up with all, you know, he knew all those guys. He knew the Beatles. He hung out with them. So he, he was great. He was a good sport. He was really funny. And I was really sad, you know, that we lost him and uh, it seemed like we were going to maybe remain friends after that. But he was, he was a cool guy. Me and my haircut. Me and my brand new haircut We're strolling along We're singing this song
1: Me and my haircut Me and my brand new haircut We're going downtown
0: We're making the rounds My old friends don't recognize me When I say hello Do I know you? Yeah, but then they recognize me They go, oh, 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 you got a haircut, hey, you got a brand new haircut, I like it, thanks, you're welcome, thanks for saying you're welcome.
1: I'm now moving on to the album again, that was one of my favorites also, with another autobiographical check, is You Made Me a Sock Monkey a true story? (laughs)
0: Yes, (laughs) Um, yes, thank you for asking, finally the hard-hitting questions. Um, (laughs) My wife made me a sock monkey and I thought, well, that's such a nice thing. What could I do to thank her? And I thought, well, I could write her a song about making me a sock monkey. I love ideas like that. I love self-referential ideas. I like ideas that turn in on themselves over and over. So, that idea like, you make me a sock monkey and then I'll thank you by writing a song about how you, (laughs) you know, and then you could knit me uh, something to go with the song, you know, that kind of thing. So, (laughs) I just found that idea funny of like thanking someone with a song and actually describing what they did. So yes, that was uh that's a true one. You got me. <laughs> you made me a sock. Monkey and I really want to thank you. Because you made me a sock. Mokey, what a beautiful thing, for somebody.
1: The standout of the album, I don't. I know I don't have to say it out loud. The standout of again is of course "Ode to Butter," which is an <laughs> anthem about yes. butter that keeps it short and sweet, leaves you wanting more. Like butter. Much yeah. Like butter. What brought that song about?
0: That so uh, you know, like I said, I'm always just open to ideas i think i was buttering some toast for my kids i make up songs constantly i just will sing about whatever we're doing in the house and i sang that one and my daughter lily who is kind of always a good um judge of my of the quality of my work she was like that one's a keeper dad (laughs) Um, because you know there's a lot a lot of times i'll sing something and she'd say like you don't need to you don't need to hold on to that one but i sang that little butter song and she she liked it so i recorded it right away I was going to make it bigger. I actually wanted to make it. It was supposed to be called Opening Theme from Butter, the Musical. And it was supposed to have like different movements in it. Like it would sound like it was from a play. And I just never did it. But <laughs> yeah, I like that one. Uh, I do get requests for that, that song, which wow. is good because it's only like 40 seconds long. So it's easy to do. <laughs> butter. Bu- 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 butter. Butter.
1: You came and showed me how to make the most of a piece of toast. Thank you, butter, butter. No silly substitute like margarine
0: could come between we two. When I wake up in the morning, I reach for that rich, creamy spread that I
1: adore. It's you, Butter. It's you, Butter. It's
0: you, Butter.
1: Now I'm going to move on to Trees. That was, of course, Grammy-nominated. My favorite work that you've done. What was the process like working with Molly and Dean in the studio for that one?
0: It was a nightmare. Oh. Okay. Well no, I'm kidding. We'll edit it this was out. delightful. We'll edit. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah. Gosh, it was so creative. We did that entire album in four and a half days. We, no we went up way. we went up to Kingston and we stayed with Morgan, Taylor, who we love, and um, mm-hmm. Rachel and their boys. We stayed with them at night. And then we're in the studio from like, I think we would get there eight in the morning and with you know l- lunch and dinner breaks, we'd go to like 11 at night or midnight and we just banged it out. There were no wrong answers. You know, Dean was the producer. We would just play him things and, oh, what about this? Okay, let's try it. I think every idea we chased worked the first time except there was one song i remember we had to keep coming back one was just like tough to get but it it was just effortless fun it was just a magical week i love that that experience i love the experience as much as i love the album you know i just had such a fun time with both of them because i love them so much and it shows i think that, that you know one thing people like about that album is it's fun it sounds spontaneous it's got some surprises in it and that was the vibe when we did it it was just very fun and let it go wherever it wants and and of course dean and molly are just such uh, creative people too so it was just great to be in there with them and wow. it got nominated for a, an emmy or a, a tony or something i forget what it was but it was it got nominated <laughs> for something and that's no, all I that think matters it got an egot actually it got an egot award yeah. <laughs> bursting forth with leaves swaying in the gentle summer breeze, woody plant
1: standing taller than thirteen feet. Tree, fibers in her wood with an outer cup
0: called bark. Leaves that match food from sunlight through it to process busy. no ash oh
1: no let's make time today to lie down in the shade beneath the
0: trees
1: i'm gonna bring this project up um this was where my personal life and my career life combined Everyone in my life, for whatever reason, was talking about Mike Bennett's Dinolandia in Portland, Oregon. Yeah. I think it went TikTok viral or something like that. Um, yeah. But it was this incredible display of artwork by Mike Bennett, dino themed. And I was like, hey, I have a connection to that. I think <laughs> Billy Kelly composed the music for that exhibit. Is that correct? Yes, I did. That's incredible. Um, what was it like to to do something fully instrumental and for the purpose of an of an art exhibit?
0: That was a, a great experience. Mike is a great guy. I actually knew him. He was a waiter at a place I used to do comedy out here in Pennsylvania. And then he moved out to Portland and got in touch with me to write some songs. I did a couple of short songs for him. We did an album together called The Planetary Promenade or Promenade, depending on your politics. And um, <laughs> I wrote a bunch of short songs for that. And then he had this amazing exhibit, as you said, Dinolandia. It was in a, a downtown Portland, a big exhibit space. And he needed 30 minutes of instrumental music. I had never done uh, an instrumental project before. It was interesting. I wasn't sure I could do it initially. Um, you know, 30 minutes is a lot to fill with no words <laughs> for someone who is like, you know, I'm lyrically driven in my in my in my music. It was great. Mike's just a great guy. And he's like very open. He liked all my ideas pretty much. And I would bounce things off of him. If he liked it, then I'd go in the studio here and just work on it. I think each song ended up taking me about three days or four days, I'd just get immersed in a song for four days and then f- move on to the next one and forget what I had done previously. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so for those listening, uh, that is about the time that trees took to record in full each song in Landia took about I mean, uh, a trees level amount of effort yeah. and time.
0: That's how bad I am at recording <laughs> <laughs> on, my, on my own. But but that's writing it, recording it, mixing it, mastering it. You know, like I did it all. I played everything on the album. I'm very proud of that, that music. I really like it. I don't know that it's really found an audience. I was hoping, you know, th- I think they had 200,000 people go through that space. I was hoping that people would sort of latch onto the music. I think it certainly enhanced the experience from everybody I spoke to the music worked but i don't think it was quite let's go home and listen to that again <laughs> i don't know i like it i'm i'm very happy with it but it's the, it's different from anything else i've ever done
1: right no it's it's very cool and speaking of cool things about you this is my favorite thing about what happened before this interview I was prepping. I always kind of do a bit of research, just refresh myself before interviewing people. And I'm telling my partner about how cool Billy Kelly is. I'm like, Billy Kelly is like, ideally this type of stuff is what I want to be doing. It's so cool. The clock strikes nine on your Spotify and a new album (laughs) music from the show releases it's a soundtrack to your facebook live stream billy kelly's friday evening family friendly comedy show it has a a hilarious songs on it it's an incredible piece of art you are such a genuine artiste that (laughs) you did not inform me that you literally had a collection of music coming out the day of our interview which makes me laugh listeners (laughs) for context we obviously we ask our guests like what they like to promote People always come to talk about their new stuff. You, you said, if I'm correct, your response was, <laughs> I can talk about any old thing I want. I think that's what you said. <laughs> and did not even mention that today you have a new yeah. album out. <laughs>
0: I should probably get on top of that kind of thing, <laughs> Trevor.
1: No, I'm, that's I'm, that's what I aspire to. You just make it I'm, for the sake of making it. That's it's
0: well, it's not deliberate. I'm I'm a creative <laughs> person first and foremost, and I'm not good at promoting myself. You know, <laughs> so like not I it. actually I forgot. I woke up this morning. I thought, oh yeah, that thing comes out today. Um, <laughs> but that yeah, I love that that. This album, it's called Music From This Show, as you said, and it's just 27 weird tracks that I made for this Facebook show that I did every single week during um, It's my dog. He hates that album. And uh, sorry, (laughs) Um, from the first lockdown through like when we were vaccinated and could go back outside. My daughter, Lily, and I did a show together every week, or I did it, and she was the co-host and had no idea what I was going <laughs> to unleash upon her <laughs> in real time on Facebook. Um, and I made all this music for it. I forgot about it. So, it's 27, I think it's 27 tracks, and it's short. It's like 35 minutes or something, and it's goofy. It's very lo-fi, but it's, it's like what I was saying earlier. You know, sometimes I go back into the, these folders and collections of ideas that I have and I thought, holy cow, there's a whole album here of stuff and some of it is actually listenable. <laughs> so, yeah, but sorry I didn't tell you about that. <laughs> no,
1: don't be. That's, I, you know what, because I do my job well, I figured it out. Yeah, you do. And we're here. Speaking of researching, while looking into you even more than I know, I discovered from your website you opened for Barack Obama. Please yeah. give me the context of that.
0: <laughs> What's that so story? In, t- uh, in 2008, when he was running, it was still in the in the primary. He was running against Hillary Clinton. And I read an article in the news that said that I, I was a supporter of Barack Obama at the time. Uh, still am. But um, I read that he was struggling with um, Caucasian male voters in their mid 30s, which is exactly who I was at that time. <laughs> and so I thought, oh, I'm going to write a song just to like support him and play that up so i kind of yeah you know, i got a like a john deere tractor hat and i hung an american flag up i made it as patriotic as i could and i <laughs> sang this parody song um the old song i've been everywhere do you know that song it's a I johnny think so, yeah it's written by a guy named jeff mack i've been to reno chicago fargo minnesota buffalo toronto <laughs> winslow sarasota wichita tulsa he lists all these place names so i changed it to from i've been everywhere i made it He'll win everywhere and he, he's going to win. And I, then I changed all the place names to Pennsylvania towns He'll to win in Millview, Rockview, Waterloo, Lackawanna, Fairview, Bellevue, Sweet, Bruce, Esquana. And uh, anyway, I just made it and put it out. It was the funniest thing. I put it out in the morning about 10 o'clock on my YouTube. And I think it was three or four hours later, the campaign called me. And the thing already had like 20,000 views or something. And they said, how would you like to come open for Barack Obama at a rally, uh, you know, next week or something? And I said, well, I have to ask my wife. So I asked (laughs) her, I went to check with her and she said yes. And yeah, I got to open for him then in front of, I think it was 10,000 people. And I played for half an hour. I played that song and I I don't remember what I played. I had to fill 30 minutes. I know that. But that that was a neat, you know, if you keep coming up with ideas and keep throwing them out, in the world and you see what sticks that was one that stuck that was actually kind of a big thing for me at, at the time i'm very proud of that and he won because of it uh, so thank you you're welcome <laughs>
1: i think he actually won an egot which is incredible yeah
0: <laughs> he won my egot that's what really hurt about this so, <laughs> so i have a new hobby now bird watcher watching <laughs> what i do is i go out find some bird watchers stand directly in front of them and look at them through binoculars then to get their attention i imitate their calls (laughs) hey cut it out (laughs) we can't see the birds (laughs) stop copying me
1: (laughs) we have a good time i want to talk about your stand up a little bit when i first heard you were doing stand up you were the first person i heard of from this kids place live driven world that was also leaping onward into comedy because i kind of took a hiatus and went to second city and focused on comedy and it blew my mind that you were doing the same thing and then when your album your first comedy album titled my first comedy album came out that blew my mind because you had found this niche all ages comedy angle that wasn't Really exclusive. I, I had figured it was going to be like, okay, and here's his R-rated comedy, but it totally blended with the world that you had already created with your music. So what led you to doing that style of stand-up?
0: Once again, thanks for noticing. Um, I started doing stand-up comedy in 2015 in my mid-40s. It just occurred to me to try it. I hadn't wasn't a lifelong dream or anything. But I, I was doing it for a while and I thought, okay, I really like this. I like making people laugh. I like, the, I like all of it. I like the shows, I like the excitement, but I can see that I'm not going to get anywhere because I'm, you know, I'm in my mid-40s already and I live in Pennsylvania. And I thought, I guess there's kind of an opening to do really family-friendly comedy that even a five or six-year-old could understand and hang with. And once I figured that out, then, you know, I just gave up anything I was doing that didn't fit into that mold and I just started working exclusively on developing that show And yeah, I don't think anyone else is doing it. You know, obviously there are family friendly comedians, but that tends to mean like there's no bad words um, and that's about it. And they can still go, you know, Jim Gaffigan is a hilarious family friendly comedian, but he talks about, you know, he talks about drinking coffee and he talks about going to the gym and stuff. My idea was like, all right, there's gonna be no bad words and I'm not going to talk about anything that kids won't understand or relate to. I thought, well, if you take all that stuff away, what's left? And I was surprised to find out like a lot is left, you know, animals are left. And, uh, you know, uh, well, just animals. I guess that's the only thing that's left. Um, <laughs> no, I found out, yeah, I could talk about animals. I like I like uh, certain, you know, talk about music that I like. I could talk about getting a haircut. There's just so many things that are available to people pitched in a funny way for that audience. So, I was excited when I came up with that idea, which Stephanie Mayers, my manager, really helped me develop that idea because I didn't know exactly what it would be. Uh, and I really never looked back. I mean, I still do shows. I perform in, you know, night clubs sometimes. And um, I still just do my... I do this, the exact same act. People just don't know that it's that kids could listen to it, you know? Um, <laughs> they Like, they don't realize. I did a show once with uh, i did an eight o'clock show somewhere and i did it was family friendly and then i had a 10 o'clock show after it and it was different audience it was only adults the second show and one of the comics asked me what are you going to do for the second show what material i said the exact same material as the first show (laughs) um you know people don't know that it's quote unquote kid friendly then they don't really think about it i think i'm getting off topic of the original question um i forget how i did it
1: (laughs) okay great no, that works for me. I was going to ask, has there been any struggle for you in maintaining that style in the context of like nightclubs and things like that? Because I know as someone in the comedy scene, I I love the stuff that I do that's all ages, but there's always sort of there's such an, an easy temptation to do stuff that caters more to a, a rowdy crowd just because that can sometimes be your audience in New York and Los Angeles and things like that. What has been your what's <laughs> what's been your inspiration for sticking to it? And um, has there been any like backlash throughout your stand-up career from doing this kind of material? Or is it always kind of lent to you? Well,
0: Hmm. that's a great question. And I did struggle with that early on because I thought, okay, well, if it's, you know, if I'm going on at 11pm, and it's in a bar, and it's only adults, maybe I need to play the game a little bit more and give them what they want. I read this amazing story of Jerry Seinfeld who's one of my huge inspirations comedically uh, that he was on a show somewhere and all the comics, this is long before he was famous, all the comics were, were doing pretty edgy stuff, let's say. Mm -hmm. And, and he went out and did his rather clean set and uh, they didn't like it. He didn't go over well. And one of the other comics after the show asked him. they said, how come you didn't change it up for this room, for this crowd? And he said, I'm not focused on this room. I'm focused on getting on the tonight show. Mm -hmm. Like he had a whole other goal And so once I heard that and I thought, okay, I'm not trying to get on The Tonight Show, but I am trying to be the best entertainer I can be, uh, the funniest comedian I can be for family audiences. So that means then I'm just going to plow through it. If it's not working, if the room wants something edgier, I'm still going to just try to make my stuff as funny as it could be for them because that then makes me better at what I want to do rather than, you know, trying to change what I want to do for somebody else which is the right. secret to a lot of things, right? Don't change, do what you want to do as long as you're not hurting anybody and focus on that. And like the painting analogy, just a little bit of a time, one show here, one show there. And, Pretty soon you got a couple hundred shows under your belt and you're like, oh, now I know how to deal with any audience and pitch them this same material and make it funny every time. I'm not saying I could do that, but that's my goal.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I also want to promote you have an amazing Audible original that our listeners should definitely check out called This is a Family Show. So if you have Audible, check out Billy's stand up. It's also got songs. Um, It's the whole package. And that came out just two years at 2020 which it's kind of still feels like it's 2020 sometimes so it's kind of new right it's a new album
0: i think of it as a new album that came out march 5th 2020 and then we know what happened after that and all (laughs) the shows that i was planning to do to promote it and uh, all that stuff stopped. So I lost a lot of momentum after that, like everybody else. But I love that album. That's one of the things I I think Trees and that album are the two things I'm the most proud of. I worked really hard to do that one. And Audible was great to work with. And the audience was great. And we just got a really nice, funny show. I get messages from people all the time saying that they listen with their kids and they play some tracks over and over again. And yeah, I'm very proud of that. And that's what I think that's what's next for me is another comedy album like that i'd like to do a video you know like a special probably half an hour live comedy show with kids and and adults in the audience and then film that and make that available through my website or something but the audible thing that's sort of where i'm at now as a comedian that was like the last thing that happened before the world stopped
1: yeah well i i love it i love that you've done all of this type of work throughout the years whether it's like children's music comedy and now at this point in your career it kind of all seems to be blending together and i think that's really cool
0: thank you i think you're really
1: cool oh thanks (laughs) um so here at the goober hour before we let you go i always like to ask a question in my interviews that makes us stand out that a question that you've definitely never been asked before (laughs) like a goober exclusive yeah and my question for you is what is your dream treehouse?
0: Let me know if tree. you've been
1: asked that before, by the way. It's, that would be super embarrassing. Asked,
0: no, I have not. I've been asked <laughs> my ideal treehouse, um, but never oh. my dream treehouse. Oh, okay, good. Okay. Um, my dream treehouse, let's see, would be uh, like the the Ewok village at the end of return of the jedi i think multiple trees ramps rope slides uh, a, a pool of some kind that i could jump into and i would like to make c-3po float in a chair mm. that's a, that's a very specific star wars reference there i don't know if, uh, <laughs> i got it seen. i got it okay yeah yeah that's about it actually i have a dream tree house in my uh shed because i bought some wood and told my kids once that i was going to build them a treehouse, and i never did it so that tree house has remained nothing but a dream Oh, Uh, wow. (laughs) Since then. So, yeah. And they bring that up sometimes. I say, hey, look, I did a lot of other stuff. I wrote a song about butter.
1: (laughs) Billy, where can our listeners find you if they have not already Googled you and found all of your work? um, Where's the best place Mm -hmm. to find you?
0: I am all over that there, Spotify. Uh, Mm -hmm. I always tell people I am available. My stuff is available wherever you go to illegally download music. Or stream it, you know, Spotify and all those things. And I have a website, which is um, a thing on the internet with words and pictures on it. They can find me there. Yeah, or just go outside and shout my name three times and... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there's a good chance I'll, I'll appear is that helpful at all could this is me not being a good promoter i don't know I'm, my stuff's out there if they want to find it they could find it
1: you know if this show was had like an amazing amazing demographic there'd be tons of people outside right now just screaming yeah, your name, shouting my um, name. luckily yeah. i think people in morinsville new zealand and some town in Pittsburgh are only only (laughs) those two. Only those two are doing that right now. So I wouldn't be too worried. We're not going to get any complaints. So that's
0: All right. So I'm not, I haven't overextended myself here.
1: (laughs) No, (laughs) it was a pleasure chatting with you. Best of luck at the EGOT ceremony. Thank you for stopping by. And come by anytime. I'll see you tomorrow. Oh, cool. All right. We're not on the air tomorrow, but you can just hang out if you want. I'll
0: see you though.
1: (laughs) Oh, okay.